The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. And so Simon Peter and the other disciple start for the tomb. They were running and the other disciple outran Peter, got to the tomb first, stooped down, looked in and saw the linen strips lying there, but he would not go in. Peter arrived and went straight into the tomb. He saw the linen strips lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head folded up by itself to the side. Now the other disciple who got there first went in. He saw and he believed. You see, they didn't yet understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And so the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb and saw two angels dressed in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, they've taken my Lord out of the tomb and I don't know where they've put him. She turned and saw Jesus standing next to her, but she didn't recognize it as Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom is it you seek? And she, thinking he's the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've taken the body, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to my father, but instead go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and to your father, to my God and your God. And Mary came to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The gospel of the Lord praise to you. Lord Christ, let us pray. Father, we believe you inspired your servant John to record these words of scripture. We believe these words not only had power in the day they were written, but they have power this day, this resurrection day, if we will hear them. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this text now for us, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. The little nine-year-old lay in the hospital bed. She had been chronically sick for several years with no clear diagnosis, poked and prodded hundreds of times. And this night in came the pediatric IV team. These loving professionals whose job it is to lovingly restrain a child so that blood work or an IV can be put in. She managed for the team a weak smile and offered her arm. There would be no restraint needed this time. Courage, courage, a picture of courage. I want more courage in my life. I want more courage 
this Easter. I want courage to be able to face trials before me. I want courage to be able to love my enemies. I want courage to follow whatever God's call may be for me at home, at work, in my community. I want more courage this Easter. And the world we live in is desperate for courage, desperate to see a church that is courageous. We see courage in the disciples in the chapters that will follow this story. As we go through the book of Acts, we will see tremendous courage played out in these disciples' lives. But what's amazing is they're not courageous here. See, if we read just one verse beyond what I read a moment ago, we read in verse 19 of John chapter 20 that they are terrified. The evening of the resurrection, the disciples were together behind closed doors, locked doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're terrified that the same Jewish council that has put their master, their Lord to death, will do the same to them. They're petrified. And yet what's amazing is but a few weeks or months later, we will find the same band of disciples standing in front of that very council that put Jesus to death. And suddenly, the fear is gone. They have a courage that is unheard of for this not courageous band. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. The council called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. In the face of that same counsel, they are courageous. They must speak what they've seen and heard. You see, for those early disciples, it was what happened on Easter that gave them courage. Easter morning, Easter evening, the resurrection story gave these disciples courage that they had never known before. And in 2,000 years of church history, we've seen Christians again and again step up with incredible courage because of what happened on Easter morning. Courage comes because of Easter. Now, in the one sense, of course, courage comes because Easter declares that death has been overcome. Death has been overcome. It's like Andre and Maurice. Andre and Maurice, they played hockey together as kids. Andre and Maurice, they coached hockey together for years. And then Andre and Maurice in their elderly years would watch hockey together religiously. But eventually Andre went to be with the Lord. So there's one night Maurice watching hockey night in Canada by himself. And all of a sudden a voice comes, Maurice, this is Andre. They have to be French Canadian. Maurice, this is Andre. And Maurice says, Andre, can that be you? And the voice says, yes, Maurice, I have come to tell you some good news and some bad news. Maurice says, well, give me the good news first, eh? And the voice says, well, the good news is this. There is hockey in heaven. The arena is 
full. The ice is très magnifique. The crowd is loud. He says, well, then what is the bad news? And the voice says, well, the bad news is that uh, for this Saturday's game, you are on the starting lineup. <laughs> we all face down the reality of death. And yet on Easter morning, when Jesus rises from the dead and declares that death has been defeated, he tramples down sin and death, that we now can believe the words of 1 Corinthians 15, where, O death, is your victory, where, O death, is your sting. It has been swallowed up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Courage comes knowing that we have a future life with Jesus. Can I hear an hallelujah? But here's the question. Would we be missing something on Easter to say that the courage that came for these disciples was just because they knew that death had been overcome? Is that the sole reason they found courage? No. You see, for these disciples in this story and disciples for 2,000 years and disciples sitting right here in this room, the courage not only comes from Easter because death has been overcome, that we have a future life with God, but the courage comes knowing that we have a present life with God right now. That Jesus, risen, means that he is alive now. We won't just enjoy a life with Jesus then, we enjoy a life with Jesus now because he is alive now. And not only is he alive now, Easter tells us that he's authoritative now. He has all authority now. And not only does he, is he alive now and have all authority now, but what Easter tells us is that you and I have access to him right now. Right now. Courage comes because Jesus is alive right now. Verse 18, Mary says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, risen from the dead. I mean, as a former atheist, I have to tell you that one of the greatest obstacles I had to overcome to become a believer was the question of Easter, resurrection. Dead people don't come back to life. What if these disciples just made up this story? And yet a friend of mine came along near the time of my conversion. And he said to me, Paul, consider this. Every one of these eyewitnesses in the New Testament pretty much to a man or a woman that said they saw him alive, they were willing to go to their own deaths with the threat of death over them. All you need to say is that he didn't really rise from the dead. Come on, just tell us you made it up and you don't need to die. But every one of these men and women, these eyewitnesses went to death with that resurrection on their lips because they could not help but say what they had seen and heard. And that friend of mine had put a rock in my shoe that day and I couldn't shake it. And eventually it led to my conversion. You see, Mary sees that Jesus is alive. Verse 14 and 15, she doesn't recognize him immediately. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried the body away, tell me where you've put him and I will go and get him. Why does Mary not recognize Jesus? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, he's standing right there. 
I mean, some have said maybe it's the tears. You know, she literally can't see well. She's weeping. Others have said the anguish, just distraught and sorrowful. She's not fully there. I mean, others could say she just spoke to a couple angels. I mean, that would throw you off a little bit. But is it not true that Mary didn't recognize Jesus perhaps in that moment because she didn't go to the garden that day expecting to find him alive? She went to the garden that day expecting she was going to a grave. He was dead. She saw him dead and buried. It was not within her possibility matrix that he could be alive this day. We can forgive her for taking a few moments to recognize that it's Jesus standing next to her. It's like the Sunday school teacher who asks her Sunday school class, what was the first word that Jesus said to his disciples after he was raised from the dead? And after a moment, one little girl puts her hand up and she says, he said, ta-da! <laughs> it's amazing in verse 16, the first word that Mary really hears from him, the first real word she hears is her own name. Jesus said to her, Mary. It's what turns her around. He hears her own name uttered by the man that she knew and loved, the teacher and Lord she had followed all these years. And she hears his voice speak her name and she recognizes him immediately. Rabboni, teacher. The point of this moment for Mary is that she's encountering the same Jesus that she knew now alive. This exchange, Mary, Rabbi, is a moment of continuity. The same Jesus she had walked with, the same Jesus she had seen crucified and died was now alive with her for real in that moment, right now. When we say in our Easter celebrations, Christ is risen, we are saying that Jesus is alive today 2018, just as much as he was alive in that garden with Mary that first morning. When we say Christ is risen, we mean he's alive right now with you and I. Jesus is alive today because of the resurrection. A number of years ago, the late Billy Graham was being interviewed by Larry King. And at one point in the interview on Larry King Live, Larry King leaned forward as he was wont to do and said, but come on, Dr. Graham, how do you know that Jesus actually rose from the dead? And without missing a beat, Billy Graham said, I know because I spoke with him this morning. Jesus is alive now. The resurrection declares that Jesus is alive right now and that brings courage. The same way he was with the disciples, he is with us alive today. But also we have courage not just because he's alive, but because he's got authority, all authority. In verse 17, Mary is told to go to the disciples. First he says, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. That language of ascending, he, he says it twice. And we often don't teach this enough in the life of the church. 
the ascension. What does the ascension mean? We say it in the creed in but a few moments from now. He ascended into heaven. But when you hear ascended, why did Jesus, after he rose from the dead, have to ascend? What's the big deal? When you hear the word ascended, hear this word, enthronement. When Jesus ascends, he is enthroned. He's put on the throne as the king of the cosmos. In Matthew chapter 28, another one of the resurrection accounts, Jesus says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. And that word authority is a favorite word in the New Testament. It's the word exousia, and it means the ability to make things happen. It means dynamic authority. It means executive authority. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's saying nothing less than this. I am the king, and I have all power and all authority in my hands. We, we sang it just a few moments ago. Now above the sky he's king, alleluia. Where the angels ever sing, alleluia. That king language is what enthronement, is what ascending means. And do you hear this? Not only is Jesus alive, here's where courage comes from, but the Jesus who is alive today has all the authority. The throne of the universe is not up for grabs. The world is not just spinning on its own and we're hoping that we do well enough. No, there is a king in heaven and he has all authority and all power. You know it's April Fool's Day today, right? Well, I've never been very good at pulling April Fool's pranks. Some of you know this story, forgive me, I'm gonna tell it again. Uh, in 2014, for the first time and only time in my life, I managed to pull an April Fool's prank on my wife. I had a brand new iPhone. And so I took my old iPhone and my new iPhone, and I figured out early morning that I could get the one iPhone to make it sound like it w I was being texted from my bishop. And so I could send myself bishop messages, and so I wrote myself this message. My wife was absolutely convinced, as was I, that we were never, ever, ever gonna leave Ottawa, Canada and move anywhere else. So I wrote her this text. I said, from the bishop, Paul, later today when we speak, I think you really need to consider a ministry opportunity in Plano, Texas. This is not a joke. I've got evidence if you want to see it. I wrote that. Now, I picked Plano because it was the farthest city away from Ottawa, Canada that I knew there was an Anglican church at, and so that's why I picked it. It was a joke. I took it to my wife. I showed her the text. I expected her to be angry. I expected her to throw the old iPhone across the room. She read the message. She sat up. And she said, well, I guess we're going to have to start praying. She ruined April Fool's. <laughs> and I said, it's, it's a joke. It's April Fool's. It's not for real. We're never going to go to Plano. Two years later, I'm the rector of Christ Church <laughs> Plano. I mean, call it a coincidence. Call it a God incidence. But these moments that happen to us are evidence and proof 
that we have a king enthroned in heaven who's actively involved in his world. Jesus is alive and he's got authority and he's doing something with his authority. I think in that moment, he was just showing off. But courage comes from Easter knowing that Jesus is alive now. Jesus has all authority right now. But finally the courage comes because he's alive now and he has all authority now and you and I have access to him right now. You and I have access to him. It's all found in one word, verse 17. Jesus says, tell my brothers, tell my brothers, brothers. It can mean brothers and sisters. It could be translated brethren. But it's got the whole gospel contained in that one word, brothers. I mean, without that word brothers spoken by Jesus, this Easter story would not be good news for us. Imagine the disciples, if he hadn't said brothers, imagine the disciples hearing the news, he's risen. They'd say, he's risen. He's he's risen from the dead and we abandoned him. And Peter, you denied him three times. We are in so much trouble. (laughs) But the first word that comes out of Jesus' mouth to these disciples, brothers. As Dale Bruner says, that one word contains the entire gospel of forgiveness. Because Jesus could have used a whole host of other names to call his disciples that day based on their absolute abandonment of him. But instead he calls them and he calls us brothers. Because something happened on that cross. As he was bearing the sins of humanity, as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, that God made him, hanging on that cross, made him sin on our behalf, took all of our sin on him, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, the greatest exchange in human history ever happened. Jesus took all of our sin and he put all of his righteousness on us and said, there you go. And we say, "That, that, that doesn't work. We don't deserve that. How could we ever pay for that? We can't. That's called grace. That's called mercy. That is God's love for us. Brothers, you abandoning, denying me, brothers, forgiven. But you know what's amazing is brothers doesn't just mean forgiven. Brothers and sisters, brethren, it means family. See, Jesus doesn't just say you're forgiven. He says we're family now. Because of what I've done, we're truly family. And family means access. Family means we can get at him. Jesus is alive now, has all the authority in the universe now, and we have access to him because we are brothers and sisters because of what he has done for us. In my dad's law firm when I was growing up, I remember as a kid, I loved going to visit him in his law firm. He was a senior partner in this big downtown Victoria, Canada firm. Big building downtown, top few floors. And when you got off the elevator, you ran into this secretary whose job as the gatekeeper, stern professional, was to turn everyone into the waiting room. 
right? That she came, you came in and she greeted you and it doesn't matter if you are the mayor or the prime minister, you're going into the waiting room first. 11 years old, I get off the elevator, I walk up, the secretary smiles at me, I don't get shown to the waiting room. I walk right in. I go wherever I want in the office. I walk right into my dad's office, even interrupting certain business meetings. It doesn't matter. I can go where I want. Why? Because I've got some great thing to offer the firm? No, all the money's sitting in the waiting room. I can go where I want. I have access because I'm family. And so are you. And so am I if we're in faith if we believe in Jesus, we've become brothers and sisters of Jesus. We have access. And he invites us every week to a family meal. This is the family meal, and we are invited. Come to the family Easter meal this day. Come and have access to the one who has all authority, who is alive now. Do you see where this builds courage? Now, for the troubles that I'm facing, for the troubles that you're facing, courage now. He's alive now. He's got all authority now. And you and I, by grace, have access to him now. The disciples learned this courage at Easter, and you and I can learn it too. Not just courage that comes from a future life with Jesus, but a life with Jesus right now, alive Now, his authority, now, access today. That little girl lay in the hospital bed. She had been chronically sick for several years with no clear diagnosis, poked and prodded hundreds of times. In came the pediatric blood team to put an IV in, normally to restrain the child, but no, she offered them a weak smile, simply put her arm out, no restraint needed today, a picture of courage. And that little girl is my second oldest daughter. And she saw in that moment the fear and the pain on my face. And she explained, my nine-year-old daughter explained in that moment where the courage for her came. She said, it's okay, daddy. It's okay, daddy. I know that Jesus is with me. That is the courage that Easter brings. That is the courage that will change the world. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia.